a greeting in the name of Jesus this morning. It's good to be here. Uh, it's good to be in the house of God. Actually, it's only the house of God because you're here. And we're taught over and over that Jesus is interested in the temple, your temple, the temple that you are living in right now. This is where he wants to live as well. The incomparable Christ. I would like to lift up Jesus as the incomparable Christ this morning. Uh, he came from the bosom of the Father to the bosom of a woman. He put on humanity that we might put on, that we might put on divinity. He became son of man that we might become sons of God. He was born contrary to the laws of nature, lived in poverty, was reared in obscurity, and only once that we know of crossed the boundary of the land in childhood. He had no wealth or influence. He had neither training nor education in the world's schools. His relatives were inconspicuous and uninfluential. In infancy, he startled a king. In boyhood, he puzzled the learned doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon the billows and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never wrote a book, yet all the libraries of the country could not hold the books that had been written about him. He never wrote a song, yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all songwriters together. He never founded a college, yet all the schools together cannot boast of as many students as he has. He never practiced medicine, and yet he healed more broken hearts than doctors have healed broken bodies. Do you know Jesus? Do you know who he is? He is the star of astronomy, the rock of geology, the lion and lamb of zoology, the harmonizer of all discords, and the healer of all diseases. Great men have come and gone, yet he lives on. Herod could not kill him. The devil could not seduce him. Death could not destroy him. And the grave could not hold him. He was, yet, he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. How poor? Ask Mary. Ask the wise men. He slept in another's manger. He cruised the lake in another's boat. He rode on another's man, another man's donkey. He was buried in another man's tomb. He is the ever-perfect one and the chiefest among 10,000. He is altogether lovely. I rejoice that Jesus, my Savior and Lord, came from heaven into this world to minister to my needs, to minister to your needs, and to show me the way to heaven. Glory to God only. That wasn't my words. I found them, and, and they resonate with my heart, with my spirit as to who Jesus is. I told Karen on the way over here, I don't think we make enough of who Jesus is, of, of his 
what he has done and who he actually is. Let's turn to Romans chapter 7 to begin with here. And I'm going to do something that's quite uncharacteristic or that I haven't done very often, I should say, since I was a school teacher many years ago. I'm going to use, uh, I've used illustrations before, but normally they're on PowerPoints or something like that. I'd like to read here in Romans chapter 7, verse 1 through at least verse 6 for now. Reading in Romans 7, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if, while her husband lives, she will be called, and, and she marries another man, what is she called? She's called an adulteress. If, while her husband lives, she goes and marries another man, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. And I can speak from experience here a bit more than some of you could. But when my first wife passed away, and we laid her in the, t in the grave, I was now free to marry again. And there is no, there is no uh, hold that my first wife had anymore. But now I'm free. Therefore, my brethren, you, also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. I said I'm going to stop in verse, a little bit further on, but I, I'd like to, to draw here what I see here. So, She's not free to be married to another. But if that man dies, and I mean I could draw him laying down and dying, but I'll just I'll just go like this. Okay, if that man dies, then she's no longer no longer bound to that man. But she is now uh, free to get married again. So the analogy is this. There is another man she is free to get married to. And let's call this, what Paul does is he calls this man, 
us, the woman here, is, is believers, okay? And if you want to call believers still, did. Yeah, is believers. So, but now, this what is the law? The whole Old Testament law and the prophets. And we can talk about that another time. But I believe it's the law and the prophets. This is, it, it doesn't matter if you try, people try to divide it between the moral law, the physical law, the, the, the they, people try to divide that. But I look at it as the whole law. So now, when the law, when, when Jesus, this is, Jesus is the embodiment of people here on this earth. Uh, he's the ultimate demand. And the, when we were married to the law, Jesus became, in, in a sense, Jesus became the law. Now, when he died, Jesus died, And so no longer are we married to the old law, but when Jesus lives again, remember that I put it as a cross because Jesus is living. He's not, I was talking to a man who was living here in Ireland, and he told me that what he always saw Jesus on the cross. And he said he never realized as a child growing up that Jesus was not on the cross anymore. That was a real revelation to him when he realized that the cross is empty. Okay? The cross, there's no more person on the cross. So now Jesus is alive forevermore. And so he's no longer on the cross. But let's keep on, let's read here again. It says, so then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. You've become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him that was raised from the dead. This, now you're married to Jesus who was raised from the dead. The, the, the living Jesus. Pardon my scribbles. You're married to the living Jesus who is raised from the dead. And it says... You're become dead to, you also become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. What happens when you're married to a wife, for instance? You have children, most time. That doesn't mean that you always have children. It's if God opens the womb, but something happens, okay? But when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So when, when we were married to the old law, there were sinful passions were raised in us and we found that we could not keep the law. We could not do everything the way we needed to do it. So now we are in a serious problem. 
it says, we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were working our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now we serve in newness of the spirit. Newness of the Spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to serve in newness of the Spirit? I'm going to skip Romans chapter 7, verse 7 through 24. Actually, through 24. 23. I'll read 23. I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So, when I know the fact that Jesus died, and that I am no longer bound to the old law, when I know the fact that Jesus died and rose again, that I can become married to Christ. It says, it, it's an analogy, but, but when I become married to Christ, Jesus is all that I live for. That's all, his ways are all that, I, that I'm interested in, more than anything else in the world. That's who I want to serve and want to be, be living for. And when I'm doing that, now Romans chapter eight starts coming into play. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, the old way, but according to the spirit, the new way. I said, serve in newness of the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There is a new law in operation now the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. What does the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus do for me? Let's just keep looking here. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because... The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, those that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. I would like to 
see where my notes are here. What are some signs of being married to Jesus? What would you have as being some signs? We can find them in Romans chapter 8 here, but what are some signs that you see that we are now married to Jesus? Anyone? Obedience to his word. Obedience to his word. Other signs. Okay. I'm finding here, the first thing is, we become spiritually minded. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. There is a difference between being carnally minded and spiritually minded. How many of you can usually tell when you start talking to somebody if they are spiritually minded or carnally minded? Is that an easy thing to tell? Yes, many times you can tell what the person's goals are, what their main purpose is in living. Are they carnally minded? Are they always talking about the things they themselves want to do? That the, the next, you know, the next great thing? Or are they interested in, in being spiritually minded? Uh, that's one of the things I see. <clears throat> Looking at verse 10 and 11, what would you say are signs of being a part of Jesus Christ in verse 10 and 11? How would you say that? Our lives will have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long suffering, and all Yeah, that's spiritually minded. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, the, your old nature, the body, the old nature is dead because of sin, but the new nature now be, starts being, being uh, the, the old nature is being put to death and the new nature comes to life. What is the new nature? Exactly what Dan just said. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Do you have a nature of love? A joy? Peace? And all of those that follow. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Keep going down. Uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 18. Paul says, for I consider that the suffering of this present time, sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the cre creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage to cor of corruption to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, we also, listen to this, we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, 
Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the, for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. Hope is something that's out there. It's not ours completely yet. We were saved in this hope. Yet hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So now, what is another sign of the Spirit dwelling in you? Can I say it's a living hope? It's something that is alive that you eagerly, with perseverance, you look forward to, and you don't just wish for something. Hope is different from wish. Hope is something solid. Hope is something that's called living in another place. Hope is something that, that we can actually have for our lives. And hope is something that keeps us going. So we have a living hope. That is the difference between uh, living in the spirit and living in the flesh. I like the next one. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which not, cannot be uttered. I, I had a really, really hard time knowing how to, how to put this sermon together this morning, last night, yesterday. I, it was, it's just hard to know. And I told Karen, I go back and forth between this subject and that subject, and and, but I read this and I said the spirit himself make his intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered and he slowly guides us and helps us and directs us and, and I trust and hope and pray that after we're finished today you would have a better picture of who Jesus is and what it means to be married to Christ what it means to live in the spirit day by day you have a living hope you have a, the, your old nature is being put to death. You, you have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, and peace. Those are things that are actually happening in a life that is filled with the Spirit. Now, uh, so, so you pray. That is something that happens. You pray with the Spirit's help. You realize that you're not, you just don't have it all yourself. You have something more than that. So, the next one in verse 28 uh, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. What is the purpose God has for us? He has a purpose for us to be conformed to the image of his Son. It's, what's the image, what is the image of Jesus? He, if you study who Jesus is, I just read a lot of the things that I didn't put together, but that's who Jesus is. And he's even much, 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 much more than that. As John said at the end of his book, he said, he supposes that if all the books were written, that even the, the how was it, could not, the, the whole world could not contain the books that were written about who Jesus is. Story after story, he works so differently and so wonderfully and so uh, powerfully in people's lives who are willing to become married to Christ? Are we willing to be married 
to who Jesus is. I say that there is a new love for God that happens when we become married to Christ. That is another thing that happens when we live our life. There's a new love for God that happens. And verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? There is a security that we have that nobody can take away. Uh, There's something I missed, I think. Going back to verse 15. Verse 15 says, You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. It was mentioned, I think, in our Sunday school lesson. I can't remember if it was either that or earlier. I, for some reason, I can't remember. But I got the thought. I, had, I said, that is a thought that I was going to also say in the sermon today. But there is no more fear. We serve God with a, in a different way. We don't... We, what, does mean, what does it mean to, to say, Daddy, Father? Like, before... When, when we're married to the old law and we sin, then what do we do? We're worried. We're fearful. But have you seen children? I just saw it again within the last couple of weeks. I wanted to go and, and talk to a little, little child, and they turn around, and they go to their, they want daddy, they want daddy, Abba, daddy. They go to their daddy because they fear me, but they don't have any fear. And I don't know if I can communicate to this, pro you, this properly, but now when I find myself in trouble, I run to God because he's my daddy. I no longer worry about a sin that I've committed because I know I can go and ask forgiveness and have forgiveness from, from Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ and I can be, re, be put back in relationship with God. There's no more fear. There's, there's, there's a certain, there's a high respect for God. And I think that is something that really, really should happen as we raise children. I was, we were told recently that, that they've, that we have not, that across this pulpit there's not been any uh, child training messages. And maybe we should have some child training messages. But I think true child training results in, in parents and children walking together and there's no, there's, there's peace. There's no fear. There's respect. I remember very much respecting my dad. But I also remember when a fellow uh, teenager of mine said that he, he just wants to do bad things and he doesn't really care about it, what his dad thinks. I said to myself, I, my dad loves me. I don't want to do things that my dad 
that my dad doesn't want me to do because I know he loves me. And so, so that's really what needs to happen. You need to have the kind of relationship with your children that because of love for your father, because of love, then you, and respect, you want to do the right thing. And then you also feel free to come when you have, I'll never forget, when my children came to me and told me that the wrongs that they committed, even though it was awful, because they trusted that daddy wasn't going to reject them. Does that make sense? There's, we can come to God as our daddy father when we have Jesus as our savior. I'd like to take you to, actually I wasn't quite, yeah, I'll do that later. Uh, <clears throat> Let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. I'm going to read some things that lead up to another verse that speaks about the Abba Father. Galatians 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So, so we're no longer slaves, but we're a son. There is a different relationship now that we have with God. We can call him our Abba, Father. As I just saw in Romans chapter 8, that we can come to God as our Abba Father. Verse 8 now in Romans chapter or in, in Galatians chapter 4 says, But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or, or rather or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months, and seasons, and years. Paul says, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity I preached the gospel to you at the first. In my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing which you enjoyed? 
For I bear you witness that if possible you would have plucked your, out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you. Who is zealously courting the Galatians here? But for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labored in birth, labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under this old law, tell me, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. And I just got done reading through that recently, where Abraham had two sons. The one was Isaac, and the other was Ishmael. The one by the bondwoman, the other by the free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. Abraham chose to do it his own way. And who was born? Ishmael was born. He of the free woman was born of the promise. What was the promise? Sorry, I'm almost I'm seeing the time and realizing I'm... What was the promise? The promise was that Abraham would have a seed, a seed that would be born, and we are now, let's, let's keep on going. Uh, he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For though they, these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Speaking about the Jerusalem that is literally still there as a city. Jerusalem where there's still turmoil going. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. All at once, people they, who are married, they, they're, they're committing adultery by going from, from this, this relationship with Jesus back to the law. Now, there is so much more that I could talk about because what is the law of Christ? What is the law of Christ? Jesus has a law. Jesus has a way. He... We just have to leave it for another sermon. And maybe other people can, can speak into that as well. But what is the real teaching of Jesus? Jesus has many things. He takes the, the law. You have heard that it's been said by them of old time, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever committeth adultery, or, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman 
to lust after her, has committed adultery already in his heart. He brings everything into a heart situation rather than just a external situation. Verse 16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I would look, go, like to go back and <clears throat> back to Romans uh, and just finish there a little bit. What, shall, what then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him, with Jesus, also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Jesus is at the right hand of God, making intercession for you even now. Who shall separate us from the, law of, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yea. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor life, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who is this Jesus? One solitary life. He was born in an obscure, obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and he went through a mockery of a trial he was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property that he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today Jesus is still the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, all them put together have not affected the life of mankind as much as powerfully as that one solitary life. I have attempted to lift up Jesus this morning to the place that he, that that he deserves, and I feel like I've not even touched the, scratched the surface. But look at who Jesus is. Look at what he says, because there's so much more. May God bless you in your search, because him that cometh to God must believe that he is, 
and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And if you diligently seek him, you will find him someday. 